the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Today's episode, ask a uh, ask a couple of interesting questions. Uh, one, I think, uh, one good place to start here would be the court of public opinion. Uh, here today in social media, we know that people are often... I don't know, what would you say, uh, punished uh, by the court of public opinion before they get to, you know, a court of law. Um, canceled. Canceled. Yeah, canceled. Mm. But, but what would you what would you say is the is the most um, enduring public humiliation that happens today? Hi, I'm Ben. Hi, I'm Noel. Public spankings. People are That's into thing, that, right? though, right? That's it. Really? Well... <laughs> You know, anything that happens in the stockade, because they can just do with you what they wilts. You know, they've got you all prone and strapped up and people can publicly spank you if they wish. I guess you could kick them or something, but they also throw vegetables at you. That one. Pilloried, is that what they call that? When they just kind of have you out in the square? Yeah, that's a nasty one. Uh, But the subject of today's episode is a much more nasty one in terms of just like bodily harm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, this one is what I would call adding insult to injury, and it's the idea of tarring and feathering, which its origin story, like a lot of things we talk about on the show, goes back way farther than I realized. Yeah, agreed. And to your point about canceling super producer Casey Pegram, you know, I I would say the the most um, embarrassing form of public humiliation currently is is probably just just in levels of pettiness. The most uh, humiliating form currently is when someone non consensually turns you into an embarrassing meme. Uh, that's you know that'll stay with you, but it won't physically harm you uh, the way that you would imagine tarring and feathering might harm people. Now, nowadays, we use it almost as a figure of speech, right? We're saying like, uh, so-and-so was tarred and feathered on Twitter for their opinion about um, 
I, I don't know, like a movie that hasn't aged well or for a line from an interview where they said something horrible, like when, uh, whenever an actor turns out not to be as good of a person as the characters they portray. But as you said, no, tarring and feathering was a real thing. This is a ancient, well, this is a very old punishment that used to be dished out in real life. Uh, what are we talking about, though, when we say how old it is? I think a lot of us associate it with, what, the time of the U.S. colonies? I think of it as, as like frontier justice, you know, running someone out of town on a rail, you know, uh, tarring and feathering them and, and, and parading them through the square. You know what I mean? That's what I think of. But it turns out it goes back to, you have to correct me if I'm wrong here, Ben, I didn't do my due diligence, but... Uh, Richard the Lionheart was the first royal ever known to um, take up the practice of tarring and feathering. And wasn't he the Robin Hood king? Wasn't he the good king that was like away on holiday or some something fighting in the Crusades, if I'm not mistaken? Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah, that's right. Richard the Lionheart. Played by uh, Sean Connery, I think. Yeah, that's right. He was only in it for a minute. It was Sean Connery. You got that. Or you know what else Sean Connery's in that you make a reference to all the time, Ben, that I had never seen, which is uh, any history buff should watch this because it's absurd. Highlander. Oh, yeah. It's, it is a ridiculous movie on so many levels, mm -hmm. but the historical reenactment parts, I would say rival Braveheart in their elaborateness and also probably in their historical inaccuracies. Well, there's one thing about Highlander. There's a, there's a fatal flaw in Highlander, which is this. How can you make, how can you build a universe where the entire point of everything is that there can be only one? And there's like five? And then make a franchise. Yeah, exactly. I don't understand what it is. Maybe you can explain. I'm sorry to go off on a tangent here, but this is no, important to me. What is it? What is, is the Highlander the thing? Or is he just the Highlander because he lives in the Scottish Highlands? Uh, what is the, the thing? What is the quickening? I don't understand any of it. Okay, so the main spoilers countdown, three, two, one, spoilers. So the the main thing is that the Highlander is the protagonist because he comes from the Highlands, but he is one of several ultimately extraterrestrial entities, uh, and they have to compete with one another uh, for the ultimate prize, which I sort of forgot. Now that I got, I you know what, I got like two thirds of the way through. The elevator pitch for this. I don't remember why. I don't remember what happens at the end. The quickening, though, is where they get all the knowledge of the person they killed. So it's sort of like if you ate something, if you, you know, if you're a meat eater and you ate a chicken sandwich and you were, you know, Highlander rules, then you would know all the experiences that chicken had when, when you consumed it. Or like Kirby in Super Smash Brothers, where when yes. you eat your opponent, you uh, absorb their powers. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the takeaway here is that it's a completely nonsensical film that is a lot of fun, has some really ridiculous accents. Because you got Sean Connery, who's supposed to play. That's the only reason I brought this up, because Sean Connery, Richard Leinhardt. Swear to God, we're going to get back to the topic. Sean Connery is supposed to be a Spaniard. Clearly sounds like Sean Connery. Christopher Lambert is supposed to be Scottish. Has this amorphous, like, you know, Swiss accent. That, that's all I'm going to say about that. Wonderful movie, though. Well, uh, you know, Sean Connery's character has this infuriating little earring. I don't know why. It bugs me. But anyhow, yes, uh, Sean Connery is uh, has, has created a lot of great roles. The best part of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, is the first 10 minutes 
I'll stick to my guns on that one. Uh, it's it's the only part I still keep watching. But that was during the age of uh, Kevin Costner. And as anyone can tell you, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, very much not historically accurate. And the Crusades are their own bag of badgers. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Richard the Lionheart did, in real life, uh, he, he did have a written proclamation about tarring and feathering. It's one of the first written mentions of it. He says- uh, Very specific. I love this. <laughs> yeah. He's, he says, uh, any thief who's discovered on his, uh, on his ships, on his sea vessels during the Crusades, he says, this will happen to them. He shall first be shaved, then boiling pitch shall be poured upon his head, and a cushion of feathers shook over it, so that he may be publicly known, and at the first land where the ship's put in, he shall be cast on shore. Mm. Shaved. <laughs> Sorry, that's the part that got me, the specificity of that. Yeah, and, and, and you know, it's uh, the, the, the whole thing about tarring and feathering, we know it was never meant to be uh, a death sentence. It was just meant to ooh burn a little, and uh, you know it'd be humiliating, and you know you'd be naked and covered in black goo and feathers. How absurd looking they, they must have been, right? Uh, and then paraded through town or or put off on the next port of call. Um, but we. Also know that there were a lot of different methods for how this uh, practice was carried out. And depending on the type of uh, materials that were used, it absolutely could be deadly. And people could get really, really severe burns. And they wouldn't die from the burns themselves. But as we know, we talked about World War One and uh, things like, you know, dying from your injuries uh, because of infection and sepsis. That was absolutely on the table here. Um, your skin would burn and blister. And after the, you know, the humiliation, the parading and all of that, uh, it's not like they had like a nurse on call to take care of you, right? Yeah. So this is the thing. We, we have to bust a couple of myths about tar. Uh, I, I think a lot of us nowadays, when we hear the phrase, we think that it is immediately fatal. It's obviously dangerous. Don't tar and feather your friends as a prank. But the tar that Richard the Lionheart is talking about and the tar that was used in pioneer days was overwhelmingly most likely to be a less fatal version of tar. Because I, I, I think when we are thinking about tar nowadays, we're thinking about stuff that would be used with asphalt and pavement, right? Uh, these public humiliation tactics used a different kind of tar. Maybe, Noel, maybe we can talk a little bit about those different kinds. Because let's see, there's tar, there's pine tar, and then there's pitch, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, and, you know, when you think of pine tar, that's sort of that Carolina Tar Heels type situation that's made from boiling down uh, tar-rich pine trees. And that's where the name of uh, their uh, sports sports ball team came from. Which one is it? Basketball? I think it's basketball. The Tar Heels? It's a college thing? I, I don't know. Uh, I'm Col pretty sure it's water polo, man. That's, okay, that's cool. real big in the Carolinas. Water Marco Polo, a competitive Marco Polo, to keep it historically uh, sound. <laughs> um, but eventually, these wood tars were replaced by petroleum-based sealants that are super tough, and you know they're oil-based, and they take a very long time to change shape. Uh, they hold their shape. In fact, there was a thing that the Guinness Book of World Records did called the Pitch Drop Experiment, which is one of the longest-running lab experiments in the history 
history of the publication, uh, they've been tracking a cone of unheated pitch over time as it's been slowly forming and releasing droplets since 1930 for over 85 years. Uh, and that there's a really great Mental Floss article uh, talking about uh, this very subject, the sticky history of tarring and feathering. But Ben, mm-hmm. I must ask you, I mean, we talked about how it certainly was possible to die from this uh, because of largely from not being treated if it stayed on for too long or if it heated up to too high a temperature. But we know that most people didn't die from this and it certainly wasn't intended to kill you. So why? What gives? How did they not die? Right, right. That's the that's the weirdest revelation uh, when we learn about this practice. So in most cases, tarring and feathering was not meant to kill people. We have to understand that uh, <laughs> that if someone wanted to kill somebody at this point in time, they would just kill them. They would stone them to death. They would have, you know, horses tear them apart. They would behead them. Tarring and feathering was meant to humiliate. And because it was meant most times to be non-fatal, they would use pine tar. The weird thing about pine tar is that it has a low melting point, around 130 degrees to 140 degrees Fahrenheit. Or for everybody in the rest of the world outside of the United States, that's 55 to 60 degrees Celsius. This is hot, right? This is definitely enough to make you uncomfortable. It can give you burns, but it's not, it's nowhere near the threat level of melting oil or petroleum based tar. And it's interesting because there was also, I didn't know this, there was also a sort of um, spectrum of tarring and feathering. Like if they didn't really want to hurt the person, they might have just heated up the tar a little bit and then rubbed it on the individual, just rubbed it on their skin to get enough of a adhesive space for feathers to stick. So it would still hurt. And of course, your public reputation would never, never fully recover, but you wouldn't be covered with burns like that guy in that movie, Dark Man. Do you guys remember Dark Man? You know, the thing I always remember about Dark Man was they triggered the bomb with that little drinking bird situation. Oh, you know, that's the, right. The, yeah. the drinking bird. What do you call that? There's a name for it. And it also demonstrates a scientific principle. Is it capillary action? I'm no bird scientist here, obviously. But yeah, uh, I definitely um, remember Dark Man. It was a Sam Raimi movie. He was sort of like a weird kind of noir superhero, vigilante, Batman-esque figure with burns and bandages. He could make fake uh, fake face mask, but they would wear off after a certain amount of time. I can't remember what the time limit was. Uh, yeah, it's Dark Man. I wonder if that aged well. Casey, I would defer to you on that. Did you ever see Dark Man? I don't remember if I actually saw it or not. I definitely remember the movie from when I was a kid. Um, I probably caught part of it on cable at some point or something but it definitely feels like one of the less um talked about sam raimi movies to have come out of that period Twas indeed wasn't it uh it's famous guy it's a certain set of skills what's his yeah name? liam neeson yeah that's the one yeah well liam if you're listening we thought you did a pretty swell job in dark man favorite recent liam neeson story uh by the way is that he was somewhere and he was filming a movie and there was a horse that appeared on on the set of this film. And he said the horse recognized him from another movie. And to me, that's hilarious because <laughs> I have this picture of Liam Neeson walking on the set and the horse going, 
what up? That's pretty much the perfect uh, movie star thing to say, I think. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, sure. Liam Neeson has fans, you know, everywhere. Uh, there were a lot of fans of tarring and feathering. But we, you know, let's go back to the spectrum idea, right, Noel? Because we know that on, on one end, on the very light end of the spectrum, you would basically have somebody held down and a group of people would rub pine tar on them and then throw feathers on them assumedly leering and jeering and and mm. making horrible faces the, the entire time you know, mm -hmm. i'm picturing it like the camera perspective of this shot in the movie where it's from the perspective of the one being tarred and feathered and all these people mm. are just like leering over them and they have to be making horrible uh what's the word i'm looking for kind of sinister faces while they're doing it just putting that out there oh yeah and they're making they're they're making weird uh chants that probably don't make sense outside of the context. Exactly. You know, they're like, do 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 And that's like a very hurtful thing to say, I guess. Yes, yes. Because back, back then, uh, everyone's talked like Andy Bernard. <laughs> so, but, but we know that there was another side where someone would say, we want to cause people permanent injury or even kill them. And then they would use a different type of tar. Yes, just so, Ben. Like we were talking about, coal tar, any of these petroleum-based tars, uh, were going to heat up to much, much higher temperatures uh, to cause excruciating pain. Not like the light touch of the uh, of the uh, the pine tar. This would potentially, you know, really cause you some horrible, horrible torture and uh, cause you to um, get infected because that the, the burns would be so severe. Mm. Um, but overall. Uh, the survival rates were okay, um, and we do have some records to back that up. Uh, it would seem that typically tarring and feathering was a survivable, if humiliating, uh, process. Mm -hmm. And that and that was in the olden days. So we uh, <laughs> we actually are going to take tarring and feathering into more contemporary times, which is kind of where I thought it originated. Uh, right. But I guess now that I'm thinking back in my mind, I'm picturing that kind of uh, medieval tarring and feathering too, you know? Yeah, yeah. I do want to point out, though, this this is an interesting thing about uh, tarring and feathering. Sometimes if someone just needed to be publicly shamed, but for some reason, uh, the mob, this is mob rule, for some reason, the mob didn't really want to hurt them. Then you might get a deal where someone would just put the tar gently over your clothes. You would not actually be naked. It, anyhow, you're right. Tarring took off. It, it, it eventually went global uh, for a couple of interesting reasons. Uh, you know, we know that hundreds of years after Richard the Lionheart wrote this proclamation to tar and feather thieves, it was being used across Europe for any kind of social social violation, right? Any kind of uh, stepping outside of status quo or or the various mores of the time. And one of the reasons it spread around the world, it makes sense when you think about it, is because tar and pitch were ubiquitous on ocean-going vessels, and they were docks and shipyards. That stuff was just getting transported across the globe. As was the idea. We know that it was Richard the Lionheart um, who more or less came up with this. Or I don't know if he came up with it. Maybe he saw it being done elsewhere in his travels. We don't have very specific details on that. But we do know that he was the one that popularized it. And that came from, surprise, surprise, his time at sea. So exactly right, Ben. All of what The feathers, I guess, for bedding, 
they would have the feathers for like stuffing pillows and uh, and and duvets. Or what, what? I just don't picture them like living in the level of comfort on a ship to have like a nice, comfy down pillow or duvet. You know, mm-hmm. and nobody thinks about the source of the feathers. You're right; those poor chickens, <laughs> because they think of when they think of tarring and feathering, they probably just think of the fact that they're getting plucked because some other jerk did something wrong. That's not That's fair. true. Well, to be fair, Ben, let's, okay, we're kind of having a cyclical little thought process here, but let's think about this. If they're eating chickens, you got to pluck the chickens and you might as well save the feathers and do something with it. Why not, you know, paste them all over some poor sap with boiling, you know, hot, sticky liquid. True. Why not? Plus, you know, you have a lot of time to think on a ship, right? That's how you come up with this kind of stuff. Eventually, all the potatoes get peeled. Like, have you guys ever heard of bastinado? No, sir. It's a very specific type of punishment or torture where someone is prone and then someone take, you basically whip the bottom of people's feet, just the bottom of their feet, because it it, it means like they can't walk. It's, I, I think it's probably more dangerous than tarring and feathering. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, isn't that what Saddam Hussein, one of his uh, psychotic sons, did to that soccer team uh, that when they lost? I think he whipped the, had, the, had, them whipped, uh, he had them whipped about the bottoms of their feet. Are you talking about um, Uday? Uday, the, yes. The notorious sociopath? Indeed. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. But, uh, you know, tarring and feathering, I'm just saying, if it seems oddly specific, it's one of very many oddly specific forms of punishment. Totally. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. So let's go to the American colonies in our chronology, because, Noel, I think your initial thought was that this was something from pioneer days. My initial thought was that this was something with like the 13 U.S. colonies. 
while the practice may be older than that, we know it was definitely in play during both of those eras. Uh, maybe we could talk a little bit about uh, tarring and feathering during the colonies. I mean, it's surprising. It was common enough that it's surprising it wasn't mentioned in Hamilton. I was about to say the same thing, Ben. Everyone's uh, Hamilton is top of mind right now. And I propose that we replace the national anthem with just the entire soundtrack for Hamilton. It'll take a while. But, you know, I think it would be a little more on than the current one with that secret racist verse that no one talks about. Or I guess they're talking about it now. Uh, But, yeah, Francis Scott Key, apparently not the best dude. Surprise, surprise. But, yes, it's true, Ben. It became kind of a form of political retaliation for poorer classes. Um, In 1696, a historian by the name of Benjamin H. Irvin pointed out this, saying that, quote, an angry crowd imposed the punishment upon a London bailiff who attempted to arrest a debtor. Um, And this was all about, you know, during the American Revolution or the kind of fervor that led up to the American Revolution. Um, And this was uh, patriots that were acting out against their you know, oppressors in the form of of English, um, you know, representatives that were supposed to be overseeing these colonies and they weren't having it. Yeah, there's there's an interesting thing here, too. Uh, So you might have heard the old Yankee Doodle song, right? But if you live in the U.S., you definitely heard it where they have the line calling something macaroni. You guys remember that? Yeah. The feather in his hat, right? Right. And called it macaroni. It's an intensely confusing line nowadays. Uh, But macaroni was like a a somewhat tongue-in-cheek pejorative term, the same way that people would call each other or others hipsters nowadays. Macaroni was a term for people who were thought to be uh, hyper fancy. They were like, you know, uh, they they had high falutin ma- manners. Yeah, dandies, exactly. And they they had uh, they liked macaroni. That's where the name came from because it was seen as an exotic Italian dish. So a lot of British folks in the colonies were seen as uh, being quote unquote macaroni. They were too fancy, and you had to tar and feather them to uh, teach them a lesson and and take them down a notch. But it wasn't one side or the other of this conflict that were more prone to tarring and feathering. During the American Revolution, it was actually these, uh, you know, angry mobs on both sides of the issue, whether it was uh, pro-British or uh, patriots that were very fond of tarring and feathering people they did not agree with. Mm-hmm. It became this very go-to sort of humiliation slash punishment slash torture, I guess, during these times because of all of that pine tar that was available because of the ships in the shipyards and especially like in New York City which we know is a harbor is a port uh, city so it makes perfect sense that patriots and British uh, supporters alike were inspired to carry this out on each other um, and sort of out tar and feather one another and uh, like we said before it was a way of uh, humiliating these British tax collectors because as we know that was one of the biggest um, impetuses for the American Revolution was no taxation without representation mm-hmm. these uh, you know this is like the equivalent of shooting the messenger without actually killing them uh, when these uh, British liaisons would come you know to make their collections and we're like no 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 we're gonna drag you through the streets cover you in pitch and uh pour chicken feathers all over you just to make you look like a jerk and speaking of insult to injury 
Uh, what if you were going to get tarred and feathered by the local bullies or politicians or mob of your town, but they didn't have tar and they didn't have feathers? What if you got the off-brand, you know, like uh, <laughs> the no-name generic version of tarring and feathering? That actually happened in the 1800s as the practice spread away from the coast and into the interior of the United States. Uh, people would get tarred and feathered, quote unquote, with easier to find materials. If you weren't by a shipyard and you didn't have wood tar, for instance, you might end up tarring and feathering someone with syrup and cattails. Imagine, uh, yes. imagine not not being good enough for the name brand tarring and feathering. The plucky younger brother of tarring and feathering, syrup and cattails. Yeah, mm -hmm. that just seems sticky and gross. Is this, I yeah. don't see where like would they heat the syrup like 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 you would for like a nice pancake breakfast like uh, well I, if you heat anything uh, to a high enough temperature it's going to be dangerous it doesn't matter what the material is but we do know that uh, there was another danger with tarring and feathering so tarring and feathering definitely has an upsetting disturbing history so we're we're taking a little bit of a turn we're having fun with this uh, but we do need to mention some real life terrible things about tarring and feathering. First off, most of the time, tarring and feathering, at least in the US, was not something handed down to uh, to a defendant in a court of law. It was something that was meted out by angry mobs, which means they frequently, in addition to tarring and feathering someone, beat the ever-loving snot out of them, you know? Well, like, yeah breaking their limbs and stuff. I mean, that's par for the course. You're not going to get tarred and feathered without getting knocked around a little bit. You know, it just goes with the territory. Uh, but here's a story that I didn't know anything about that I found really interesting. Joseph Smith, uh, as we know, as the founder of Mormonism, he... Um, oh, gosh, I always get the details of the, of the, the story a little incorrect, but he received some tablets from an angel, if I'm not mistaken, um, and then he uh, used that to... Did he receive the tablets or he wrote the tablet? He wrote them. He wrote the, the tenets of Mormonism. There are gold plates. Uh, this is uh, Joseph Smith in the religion of the Latter-day Saints. He received, uh, he received these golden plates and had to translate them to a, to a language that uh, people could understand. This came from the direction of an angel called Moroni. You sure it wasn't macaroni? Yeah, yeah. Just kidding. That was bad. I apologize. Please, please don't tar and feather me for my horrible dad joke game today. Uh, but yeah, Joseph Smith had a bit of a brush with feathers and tar. Gosh, I'm on a roll. Downhill is, is the way that this is rolling. Um, because in 1832, a Mormon minister named Sidney uh, Rigdon and a friend of his, who was in fact Joseph Smith, were actually almost killed, almost murdered by an angry mob who literally pulled them from their homes uh, in the middle of the night as they slept, beat the living crap out of them, also tried to force feed them acid. I'm assuming it's not the fun kind of acid. It would be like the kind of acid that would like burn your esophagus. Uh, I, I, I want to know more about this. I, I see it saying tried to. Mm -hmm. I assume they failed because we don't know of any stories of Joseph Smith, like not having a face. Um, but yeah, and then they uh, hard and feathered them and left them for dead. This mob also, by the way, uh, may have attempted to castrate Joseph Smith. 
There, there are still uh, conflicting accounts about that, but we have in writing his own description of what happened to him. Uh, apparently, they tore every article of clothing off his body except for his uh, shirt collar, and then the tar that was put on him made him look like he was covered in blood. He said his wife uh, fainted when she saw him because she thought that he had had such grievous injuries. Um, and he he says he had to spend the night scraping and removing tar and washing himself over and over again with the help of his friends. Like it wasn't a one man job. And in the morning he was able to put clothes on, but he was so coated with tar that he literally couldn't not be naked. Not to be a complete bummer, but it reminds me of like, you know, when when there's oil spills and you see penguins or other, you know, aquatic creatures covered in petroleum, even if it's not heated to boiling temperatures, that stuff still is a is is really difficult to get off. Um, so, yeah, that would be uh, that would be a real a real uh, to do. Yeah. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes. You heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. If we move further up in the timeline, uh, we have to realize that not only is tarring and feathering older than many people believe, it was also around longer than a lot of people might like to think, right? We know that uh, in the U.S., even in the 20th century, in the 1900s, people were still tarring and feathering folks they disagreed with. Yeah, and, and it's interesting how stuff like this does tend to evolve a little bit over time, but this one stayed largely the same in the United States as a form of mob justice in the 20th century even, um, in the antebellum days. Here we are. This is where my mind went. It wasn't, see, it wasn't It wasn't the medieval days. It wasn't the American Revolution. It was this kind of, uh, kind of you know, 
town square mob justice situation that my mind always went to in picturing this with a little bit of a rednecky twang to it. Just going to put that out there. Um, so yeah, in the antebellum days, um, a lot of Afro African Americans and civil rights activists were tartan. But that's why that's exactly why. Oh, now I feel bad for even remotely being light about this. It's true. A particularly famous case involved a gentleman named John Mainz, who was a German American farmer. In 1918, he was dragged from his home in Minnesota. Um, he was whipped and, and uh, terrorized with weapons and then tarred and feathered and forced to march across the border to South Dakota. Um, and he was, you know, warned if he ever returned, he would be killed. And in this case, uh, he was exclusively being, you know, punished because he was a German American and it was during World War One. Uh, he was told he would never be allowed to come back if he returned. He would be killed. He tried to sue the men who did this to him um, only to have uh, the jury declare them completely innocent of all charges. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. What was the deal with the judge, too, Ben? There's some, yeah. some, some, some tricky stuff so, there. <laughs> so what a kangaroo court. The judge in this case. A real winner named Wilbur F. Booth told the jury in this in in this court, he told the jury that they should consider this guy disloyal to the U.S. when they were thinking about the verdict. So basically, the judge said, now, before you reach your conclusion, members of the jury, remember that uh, this guy's German and that's super messed up. From, right <laughs> from where we're coming from so Jeez. yeah so it wasn't fair he later got a new trial uh and ended up settling out of court for the equivalent of about 84 grand today so that's the price for getting tarred and feathered <laughs> currently we also know in europe uh during world war ii or after shortly after world war ii uh women who had had intimate relationships with invading german soldiers were sometimes subjected to tarring and feathering which is a an absolute travesty of course um yeah it continued in 2007 a guy in ireland in belfast was tarred and feathered like this this is still kind of going on people are still occasionally getting covered with tar and feathers yeah, and as recently as the 80s, an Alabama woman went to court uh, for the tarring and feathering of her ex-husband's uh, fiancé at the time um, using a tar-like material uh, that you would use to, like, weatherproof your house or, like, seal your roof or whatever. Um, and and she, she described her act of vigilante justice as standing up for a sense of community decency, um, you know, because this was – she considered this person uh, – a home wrecker of some sort. So yeah, uh, there's definitely a historical precedent uh, for this type of behavior. And, you know, even though she, you know, kind of claimed this historical president and precedent and tried to make some sort of a grandstanding gesture to the court, she was convicted. And this is also from that lovely mental floss article on the history of tarring and feathering. We have another case as recently as 2017 when protesters, not with a person tarred and feathered a monument of Jefferson Davis in Arizona. Um, and this was after the Charlottesville, uh, Virginia um, neo-Nazi marches or white supremacist mm -hmm. marches. So we're seeing a lot of that. Uh, I, I'd be surprised if we don't see more tarring and feathering of some of these racist monuments across the country.
So there you have it, folks. Tarring and feathering. It started because the materials were easily available and uh, authorities centuries ago decided it would be uh, more appropriate to humiliate someone than to murder them. However, tarring and feathering uh, evolved over the great game of telephone that is human history, and it was at times fatal. The big takeaway from this incredibly cartoonishly specific form of public humiliation and punishment is, I, I would say it's just this. If you have objections with people or you have problems with people, uh, why not talk it out with them? Why not take them to court? Why not, uh, <laughs> why not find a, another uh, less dangerous way of canceling them? I don't know. I like, I don't tarring and feathering someone just seems so extra. You know what I mean? It really is. Um, and you, you know, it's, you talked about the specificity and some of the kind of creative flair that goes into some of these punishments and tortures throughout the years. And this is one that really has kind of stood the test of time. And I'm fascinated by that. Um, I guess maybe because it is typically not that lethal uh, and it's mobile. You can kind of parade people around, whereas the stockades, people have to come to you uh, to humiliate you, which I would see as being interesting because then you've got like a place to go. You know, let's go throw, you know, rotten vegetables at the bad man in the square. Um, but yeah, we don't see that one anymore either, except at the Renaissance Fair. Rotten vegetables. Oh, that's that's a good one. Mm -hmm. I think that's cool. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, it's you know, it's again, it's like you got to you know, you use all the feathers that you have on the ship. You got to use those rotten vegetables somewhere. So you might as well throw them at uh, an adulterer or something. Well, I'm thinking, you know, before I sound too uh, glib or whimsical about it, uh, I, I guess you would want to. I'm such a softy. I don't. I don't want to seriously hurt people. I would want really ripe vegetables, right? So they smell bad, but they're not hard <laughs> enough to hurt someone. You know what I mean? Well, you want I, a good splatter. You want to splatter nice. Splatter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you get it. You get it. Anyway, that's our show, folks. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, before. Before we bid you adieu, we have to ask, or I have to ask, Casey, what's what's your take on, on tar and feathering? Did you, did, was this episode interesting to you or did you already know about all this? No, a lot of this was new to me. Um, I, I kind of associated it more with like the whole Wild West thing. So to find out that it had a whole life before then was, uh, was really interesting. And the fact that it still happens here and there is uh, disturbing. Casey on the case. Thanks, as always, to you, super producer Casey Pegram. Thanks, as always, to our peer podcaster, Eves Jeffcoat. Uh, check out her show, uh, This Day in History, when you've the chance. Uh, thanks also to uh, what, what I describe as our uh, magnetic north of the show, a guy we will never tar and feather, our research associate, Gabe Luzier. Thanks to Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Christopher Hasiotis here in spirit. Uh, anyone else that I forgot? My mom, your dad, isn't his birthday today, Ben? Or was that yesterday? That was yesterday. That's so kind of you to remember. Yes. Hey, happy birthday. Happy yeah, birthday says, to the hi. colonel. Is, can yeah. I call him the colonel? Is that, isn't that something we say? Yeah. I mean, you can. he's the kind of guy, his joke would be like, you can call me anything but late to dinner. Very is, good. Yeah, he's the emperor of dad jokes. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, Noel, thanks to you for uh, taking this uh, strange journey today. I am super glad to be able to say that uh, the three of us have a 100% record so far of not being tarred or feathered. Indeed. We'll see you next time, folks.
For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.